Welcome to the Moving Forward Podcast. This is your uh, host, Corey Cottrell, and of course, my, uh, my good buddy and co-host, Rio Verdenier. Hello. <laughs> Every single time, like, is the pause going to be 50 microseconds or 1,000 microseconds? I really don't know how, how long the pause is going to be, and I'm, I'm just on pins and needles every time. Uh, we've got uh, Jonathan Munitz. Uh, is that, did I say your last name right? Uh, so it's Jonathan Munitz. But Munitz. Close. What's yeah. like close? Like, okay, Munitz. All right. Um, and uh, I, some of you might recognize uh, him from uh, from the Twitter sphere, uh, where uh, where where you know he's uh, his profile is all raging. Uh, but uh, uh, John, if you could please tell us a little bit about yourself uh, and and how you came to be uh, you know part of the Yanging. Yeah, no problem. So I am currently a podcast host of The Hill of Roses. It's a podcast where we do either individual segments on specific topical segments. And more commonly, recently, it's been having panel conversations of three at a time, as I've been calling them, me plus three. I'm also a consultant for IBM. I work in the financial services industry, and I do a lot of project management work there. I came to the Yang Gang uh, in August. I used to be a Bernie Sanders supporter up until that point. I had been familiar with Andrew Yang since March. However, I had some trepidations about some of the policies, but over time from interacting with members within the Yang Gang, a couple of my positions had flipped on some of the topics I had concerns with. Uh, And most importantly, I had found out more firsthand how flawed our existing welfare system was and how UBI as a solution could really help patch the holes within the net. And so when I started to compare UBI versus the federal jobs guarantee, I think that's the age old debate between those camps. I really started to gravitate much more to the UBI. And then the final tipping factor come that time period, because I was kind of on the fence between the policies. I found that the Yang Gang's just movement was much more attractive to me. It became much more my personality type in terms of the types of individuals who are within it, the way they thought about it, the idea of actually having a positive movement rather than tearing opponents down. And so come, like, I think it was like August 20th, I had made the switch over to Yang. All right. John, John, you just said several things that make you among my favorite people. My favorite people right now are ex-Bernie supporters and and also um, people who are open-minded and able to change their positions on policies. Thank you for that, right? Like you're exemplifying like the best of humanity as far as I'm concerned. So tell us more about the Hill of Roses. Like where do you get the title from? What's your show about? I mean, you mentioned that you do panels and stuff, but like why Hill of Roses and what's your yeah. like perspective on, on politics? So the name originated from two places. Uh, First, it's a little shout out to my hometown. I grew up on a place called uh, Rose Hill Road. So just a flip of the name kind of came to me there. Uh, The second thing is when I first created it, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter at the time. If anyone sees all the roses out there on Twitter, you kind of know that's kind of their insignia. And the idea of having a hill to kind of stand upon, it's a principled position of what you're going to fight for. And so that's kind of where I came to that name. And the overall purpose of the channel is really, I'd say two things. I'd say first, I think there's a lot of commentating, uh, which is very divisive. It's a lot of reaction videos to other pundits trying to tear down their positions or taking sound bites of the other candidates and critiquing that. And so I wanted to be able to build something that was a little bit more positive uh, because I think there was a lot of lack of that in the YouTube podcast sphere. And that's kind of something I really appreciate about the channel you're doing is it's really about trying to bring people together, trying to have that positive conversation. Um, And originally, I wanted to have it be more focused on just 
uh, policy and it was me giving my opinions at first. However, I realized that the second most important element is to really help bring more voices into the fold because once you get people speaking and engaged, they feel more of a participant in our democracy and more energized to keep participating. So taking not just like the huge names out there, but the random people off the street who might not ever feel like they're being heard really challenges them to say, hey, I am appreciated. My voice does matter. Maybe I can keep going forward with this. And so that's really how my channel evolved into those panel conversations. Right. So the Rose, the Rose is, I mean... Did it, now like, it's more social democracy instead. Well, of yeah. Well, that's what I was about to say. I mean, like, is is that what makes it a rose as opposed to a hammer and sickle? Yeah, I've I've never been uh, all the way towards communism or philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> Sincerely, well, yeah, like, I've always been a social I, democrat. The reason, the reason that I um, that I said that, apart from the fact that it's funny and it made Corey blush, <laughs> is is that like. You know, the rose actually is also a symbol of the labor the Labor Party in the UK mm-hmm. now. Right. Um, and like Corbyn I, is not a social democrat. He's a, he's actually a socialist. And since the Labor Party embraced him, like they've been completely hollowed out. I mean, he is like one of the most unpopular politicians in the entire democratic world. Yeah. Um, I think his like his uh, favorability reg- rating is negative forty. Yeah. Is like he makes 41. Trump look popular. That, yeah. it, like mathematically, which is nuts. Now, granted, just just to be fair, um, Bernie Sanders is exactly the opposite of that uh, when it comes to in to, terms of favorability. Yeah, that's true. Just um, want to just want to throw yeah. that out there. Like, that, well, that and also he's everybody everybody in your position wants to make that comparison. That comparison doesn't work. He's a Jew, and uh, Bernie Sanders is a Jew, and Corbyn is a, 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 a raving anti-Semitic lunatic. So they're also okay. But then, all right, fair enough. <laughs> okay, Rio. Okay. <laughs> but no, I mean, uh, you're Ooh. right. Social democracy is something I'm completely comfortable with, especially uh, libertarian-leaning social democrats. Um, and Yang is a social democrat. He's just a he's just a better breed of social democrat than Sanders is. Right? I, I completely by agree far. with you. I agree. Yep. Yeah, because one of the things I even say is I have some libertarian flavors to me. I would say that's really kind of where I fell between that federal jobs guarantee and UBI. Yeah. One, they're both like solutions to our economic safety net, providing jobs versus providing just basic income. Yep. And I feel one is much more paternalistic. You're going to do this job. The other is go find your own purpose in life and live your life. I tend to gravitate more towards that and giving people that individuality. And how fucking weird is it that anyone would gravitate to the other one? Right? Like you just said, like, I'm for people just kind of realizing their own potential in their own lives. And well, I'm for making you go work in a mine. Like, like, what is that? Like, what what are you talking about? Right? Like, A couple episodes ago, we had uh, Chet on, who um, uh, is a, um, a communist, but he's more of the libertarian variety. And he, he, he created an amazing meme of Bernie Sanders that's, that's just like Bernie looking all cranky. And it says, like, free money? I have a better idea. Get a job! <laughs> that's what that's I always so brutal. confused about. Like, when they say they're the most left-leaning candidate... When you are giving that argument of, no, you got to have work define you, that's a very conservative talking point, in my opinion, where you have to pull yourself up from your bootstraps and derive your value simply from the work you do. And it, like Bernie's even said that. He's like, no, people just, they just really want to work. Yeah, but if you were giving me $1,000 a month, I would do stuff. I just wouldn't do shitty stuff. And I, I tweeted about this today. I need to bring this into it. The federal jobs guarantee. 
under any Republican administration would be wage slavery for corporations. Mm-hmm. Period. Like, which is where it would, where, which is where it, it's either an, and um, it's either going to be that, or it's going to become, I mean, actually it's going to become wage slavery one way or the other. It's, if, it's sponsored. If, if, it's if, the right take, if the right takes over, then it's going to be wage slavery for corporations. And if it doesn't, then the inevitable feedback loop of automation plus federal jobs guarantee will result in a situation where you have the tax, tax people at close to 100% in order to afford to pay them. And then the next thing you know, you really are in actual communism. Like, yeah. I mean, seriously, right? I mean, oh, that's, yeah. that's, yeah. those my, I, uh, and Corey, you're going to like this. I actually agree with you. Bernie Sanders is extremely, I wouldn't say conservative because that's a, in a way you're right. It, it applies. But like, I would rather say old fashioned, right? He's just a really old fashioned guard leftist. He's still thinking the same way he did when he was, you know, 20 year old failed musician high and like, you know, like, like, I mean, like nothing against that. You know what I mean? Like I fully believe that he believed in that. And when he was 20 years old, you know, he might've been on the vanguard of something, but like now he just sounds old fashioned. Yeah, and and it, well, and, and again, I'm an ex-Bernie supporter too. Like I supported him in 2015, right? Um, and that you know, th- there there is a lot of feature, not a bug situation on the fact that he has been you know preaching this particular uh, uh, you know point of view for a really really long time, and it is you know a, a countervailing argument to the the kleptocratic you know destroying unions you know working people can go fuck off because you know I want to make more money idea that has been the gestalt of american politics over the last 30 or 40 years right so that his message has resonated but then you look at his solutions in the context of having somebody like andrew yang running and you're like oh, what the f-? there's not even a comparison right yeah. like like I, I i think it's like a dual edged sword too like it's also it's noble that he's consistent that we know where he stands right. but when you say society has changed fundamentally and technology has had this capability to have a more impactful shift than it has in the past because it's now replacing cognitive work in addition to uh, manual work yep. you have to actually be willing to adapt over time because that's just human nature we are all adaptable creatures and we should strive for that we should show that we can actually work with others and get stuff done he's known as the amendment king but i'd love to see him have his actual policies put forward as bills and be more successful all he's gotten is really that veterans bill yeah Uh, it i think is really tweaking around the edges while claiming huge victories and to the federal jobs guarantee i want to just say it would be a bureaucratic nightmare no one understands the procurement process of trying to get funds from the federal level to the local level and having the abuses that corrupt local officials yeah. can have. You're going to be charging so many more uh, jobs than you might have in your actual area. Yeah. How are you going to say when someone gets uh, a new job that you don't just keep saying, yeah, that guy's still working for us. We are still paying him. Yeah. He's still doing this job. Uh, yeah, and it's... we just saw this in my hometown. We had someone who recently lost their job in Ramapo, New York. And essentially, he was still renting out the facility as if he was still in charge of that job and just pocketing it for himself. This happened this past week. So wow. I, I don't have a lot of trust in the idea of we're going to just give jobs to everyone. It's going to be funds from the federal level. And we're going to just trust that the local people are doing their yeah, no, at 100%. And, right. and now let's think about this in this in the context of, of Sanders' populist rhetoric, where he's like, 
oh, the elites are crooked and government is corrupt and blah, 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 blah. And then they're like, okay, I hear you, Bernie. They're all corrupt. What's your solution? He's like, let's give the government total control of the economy. Wait a second. What? You just said that they're all corrupt. What the fuck? Where are you going with that, man? I, like, I honestly think that he is a very well-meaning guy yeah. who has a dogmatic commitment to an ideology that he found in his 20s and is too closed-minded because he's old to change his mind on anything. That's the truth. I don't think he's, pri- I, I, like, I think he is principled, but he's also just old and closed-minded like old people tend to be, you know? So the left-wing version of Biden, who is also a well-meaning, closed-minded old man. Who uh, wants to evade subpoenas? Different conversation. Uh, so, what, do you guys know? Because I've seen this a couple of places, and I thought I'd seen it, but I, I, I really I don't know enough to speak about it authoritatively. Has Bernie ever been for UBI in the past? Yes, kind of. He 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 kind of gives it like lip service. He's never been like, yes, I'm proposing a universal basic income to okay. this solution. He's been like we have to start having the conversation about this, sure. which is like, he has done that. It was back in even 2017, he said that. And so back in the 2016 election, I found that very encouraging. Me too. Uh, I, was, uh, I have been a proponent for basic income, not like a huge advocate, but I liked the idea even back then. Yep. And that was a great answer to automation back then, other than being firmly committed to it. And then over time, he's just said, no, I have a better idea to just know. And yeah, right. Yeah, which no, is I, incredible to me. Right. Yeah, so like, I, yeah. I, I was going to say like in 2015, I found Bernie Sanders a lot less scary than I do now. He also was for a public option back then. He was talking about each state having a public option for Medicare. I think now I, he's become I'm, a very dogmatic single payer or nothing. I'm, right? I'm worried. I think what happened in part uh, is that he was so successful in moving the Overton window that he's having to outdo himself now in order to stay relevant. But if, if you ask me, that is actually a character flaw. Um, and this is something I haven't talked about a lot. It's like, I actually honestly think that yes, he has good intentions, but also sometimes people with good intentions can have other personality traits that are really noxious. And I think that he is, he's been a politician for so long that he has forgotten how to look at the world as a non-politician. And he is a little power hungry because like, why is he running otherwise? Like, dude, you won. You got the Democratic Party to put your, your preferred policies on their platform and everybody else has these policies too. And, and, and now you're running to the left of yourself in order to remain relevant. That just strikes me as selfish and, and actually counterproductive honestly. I I kind of agree with that, especially when you consider he actually had some of his supporters from the 2016 campaign run. He didn't put his weight behind them. He ran himself. And I think we have seen this kind of shift within the Bernie movement over time that has kind of become very similar to what Hillary had in how Mm -hmm. the supporters have behaved. They now have this front runner status. It's their turn. They feel like it's the last chance to be able to do it. And so it's become this very dogmatic, you're either with me or against me. Right. And so is, I think- like, if having Bernie Sanders be president is more important to you than actually passing policies that are going to make people's lives better, fuck you. It, it, let me break that down to something really, really specific. <laughs> um, where there is a potential solution for 
you know, the 70% of people that, that should be on welfare and aren't. Uh, um, the number of people homeless uh, uh, that are homeless that aren't getting any assistance whatsoever. The number of working poor, poor that have three jobs and can't, uh, uh, can't afford uh, food uh, uh, for their kids or, or anything like that, right? You know, if you're making the argument that you really just want to have Bernie Sanders as president and it's at the expense of any individual in that, in that category, that is a deeply immoral and unethical position and it cannot be maintained really gross thank you for saying that in a more diplomatic and compelling manner <laughs> thank you i guess but no like it's, it, it, it's a thing right like that watching you know any any birdie sport to go no nope, federal jobs guarantee is just a way to go okay explain that and then they try to explain it and you're like okay now explain that under any trump administration any republican yeah right yeah. it's garbage it's extremely well intended as i personally have you know thought of bernie sanders as being from the beginning it's just a terrible idea like just a blood curdlingly terrible idea. And then, you know, there, there's even the $15 minimum wage, right? Like making any comparison between the $15 minimum wage and the UBI is ridiculous because they want to scale the federal $15 minimum wage in what, four years or whatever it is, or five or six. By the time you're making $15 an hour, they've literally automated every job at McDonald's. You can go fuck yourself, right? There's literally nowhere to go. Yeah. Like it just, it's, it, it's crazy. And again, in a world without, uh, uh, you know, a really serious possibility around UBI or, you know, without, you know, Andrew Yang's candidacy, I would be for a $15 minimum wage. It actually doesn't do the amount of damage people say it's going to do, right? Yeah. Because the economy actually adapts. Look at Seattle. This is a thing that we know. But in a, in, in, in a situation where you could actually do a federally mandated $1,000 a month to everyone in the country, there is no comparison at all. Oh, I completely I agree with you there. Oh, yeah. go ahead, Rio. Yeah, go ahead. No, I'm sorry, Jonathan. You, you get your thought out first. You're the guest. Yeah, I was going to say, the, <laughs> the one thing I do give to their credit, I think there is a lot of people still in his camp that are really riddled with debt. And he is truly mm. the debt candidate. Like, if you have debt, he wants to just get rid of it. And so when they tell us we're being bought off, what is that? That's like, I mean, everyone's like, no, student loan debt, not just for the poor and getting rid of it. I appreciate the universality, but just get rid of it all. Medical debt. I, I kind of agree with getting rid of it, but that's the main sticking points of why they're with him. Right. I believe. Yeah, I, I, yeah Jonathan, you're right. I, that's actually related to the point I was going to make, which is that like, you know, Bernie Sanders supporters right now, I think are like, he, he went from having almost 50% to, to, you know, like less than 20%, right? In some polls, considerably less. So I think he lost the people who were like, yeah, he's better than Hillary Clinton. Mm -hmm. And I think he also lost people because he moved too far left um but like i the the bernie sanders supporters accuse us of of uh trying to keep capitalism on life support to which i say yes because capitalism is a good thing but also he's trying to keep work on life support right like i mean literally just like even if it's more expensive and more inefficient and 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 results in less autonomy and less freedom for americans by golly we've got to keep work alive and I think that makes perfect sense coming from a guy who was standing up for the Soviet Union, right? And who was standing up for South American communists. Like, he's always been this guy. He is through and through. He has the, the work ethic, which, again, is actually a very conservative thing. In a lot of ways, he is actually extremely old-fashioned. He has this idea that you have to just, you got to work. you got to justify yourself with your work. And it's like, man, like, that's not the future that we're going to be living in. Yeah. It certainly doesn't have to be, right? Well, I mean, I if it, and, and if he keeps it on life support artificially that way, it, it's it's worse than what we have now. That is full-on dystopian. 
It could be. Yeah, and, and to your point, Rio, on Bernie moving further left, when I talk about this debt solution, in 2016, he was a refinancing candidate. That was what he did. Now it's full-on cancellation. So for the people, you can choose one or the other. Do you like the consistency, and now he's not consistent? Or do you say he is going further left and you just like that? You have to choose one or the other. It's not like he's been always the same. And as he's moved over time, he's moved farther left. And he yeah. started pretty left. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I think that is actually because, like, you know, uh, people said that um, Obama was a guy who was running as a – like classic liberal, but who, or but whose policies, or whose actual, like his policies were classic liberal, but he's actually a social liberal. I think Sanders is being honest with us. I think he was running on on social democratic policies for pragmatic reasons, but he's always been a socialist, and. That is just like, that is just, so like, of course he's going, he, he, once he moves the Overton window, he's going to move it further and he's going to move it further. That's, that's what he's trying to do. And like, you know, God bless him. Like he has every right in a democracy to try to move the country in the direction he wants it to go. I just don't want to live in that future. You know, I, and, and it's about, as far as debt is concerned, okay, you forgive debt where the government is either going to pay off your debts for you, in which case it's expensive and you got to pay for that somehow. That's okay. Um, or, you know, it's bad for the economy and all of a sudden all of this debt disappears and you literally lose money from the economy. That's not good. Whereas what Andrew Yang is doing is he's saying, look, I'm going to give you money. And if you want to spend that over the next two years paying off your debts, good. It, it solves that problem and every other. So and uh, to bring that, it down specifically. Passive income for the rest of your life afterwards. 100%. So, but he also right, does way more back. than that on debt too. He has first just a partial forgiveness so that it goes back to a 0% interest rate. And then he has the option of, okay, if you're not in a good job, it's hard to pay it off. We're going to just say, if you want to pay 10 years of your income and pay 10% of it, forgiven. I think that's a great idea. You're still basically yeah. saying the people who took on that debt still have personal responsibility. But if that degree is not getting you the value it should be, it's not as much as it would have been. Yeah, no, right. Yang's policies on that are pretty much perfect, right? I mean, like he... He's just, he's, uh, he is the, he's, he's just got better policies. All right. And this is what, this is where I want to take. I want to, I want to have like, we're having a social Democrat on and we're just like bitching about Bernie Sanders. Through, through, <laughs> you know, the main, hold on, just, the main difference though. And I think, I think you guys agree on this, but it's, it, it's, it's, it's a point that I think bears digging into a little bit. So, you know, Bernie as a, as a, as a politician, you know, he's having whatever ideas he's having, he's doing, being an ideologue to whatever extent he, he's being an ideologue. The one thing that I feel I personally know to a, a measurable fact, especially covering all the policies from Andrew Yang the way that we have been working on doing, is that he will look at all of the current data on a situation and then look at all the current experts on that situation and mesh together. We talk about threading the needle all the time. The solution that will serve the very most people while negatively impacting almost no one. And he does that every single time. Right. And we can't actually see that with the other candidates. Right. Not not by definitely not to a perfect extent, which I mean, I feel pretty confident say like every single one of his his policies and there's 18 million of them kind of all follow that same pattern, which is like, I, you know, I think a, a barometer, the purity test, if you will, that I will now be demanding in any future candidate. It either have to be like that or it's just not going to work. No, it's the, like opposite, the it's the opposite of a purity test, because the whole point of his approach is 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 to actually take seriously the criticisms of people from multiple perspectives and come up with practical solutions that address all of those concerns, right? right? 
like a purity test is more like, I don't care what the other side thinks. I believe fully like a religion that my solution is the only one. Right. right. Or like a and federal jobs guarantee is, the, is a good idea. Fair enough. Sorry, Don, you were saying? Yeah, I was going to say, it's not even necessarily the policies that have that draw to it. Just the methodology of how he talks right. to the issues and comes to his conclusions right. is really important because he even says, you're not going to always agree with me. And there's a lot of data sets out there. So you could say, I'm pulling from this data set, but have you looked at this data set? I, I don't care. To me, it's you actually are using the data as the way you've come to your conclusion. And I think that's a really important difference from a lot of the partisan tactics, as you guys were mentioning. Nailed it. Yeah, and, and partisanship is, I mean, partisanship is actually separable, separable from that purity test dogmatism. Um, but yeah, I mean, partisanship is a, a really, really big problem in this country right now. People forget that, like, you know, during our lifetime, it used to be possible for Republicans and Democrats to work with each other to actually pass legislation, right? And that that doesn't that is not a thing anymore, right? And I don't honestly, when I think about it, other than maybe Joe Biden, maybe I don't think there are any other candidates running who have a prayer of doing that, other than Andrew Yang. Um, and and you know, Biden Biden will will try to try to make it bipartisan by basically representing Republican perspectives. Um, Cause he's a, you know, he's, he, he's actually right of Donald Trump in, in some, in some respects, which I, which I like, but Yang is going to do, he's going to do one better than that. He's going to say like, look, I'm going to bring in Republicans by actually having fresh ideas that really speak to their concerns and move the country in the direction they want it to go as well as a direction that I want it to go. And that's just that. It, I honestly think that if if you if you're gonna vote for Yang, like there's like the number one reason to vote for Yang out of everything, even setting aside all his brilliant policies and the fact that he has really noble character and such a likable guy and honest and trustworthy and all of that, right? Like the number one thing is just that he is the guy who has a chance to actually bring this country back together again, which is so divided that we are literally becoming a threat to ourselves. Mm. Yeah, and, and I kind of want to make the left like viewpoint of why bipartisanship is important. Okay. The left very much says to actually be able to combat some of the negative impacts that capitalism has, you have to have a functioning government. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're only going to be a partisan, how do you get the government to function? How do you get it to actually do the things that take corrective actions against those abuses? You have to work together in some capacity while at the same time making your case to say, okay, give me some more power, put more of my people in seats. You have to do the short-term goals and the long-term goals at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, no, and Sanders is the worst of them all because he won't even compromise with people in his own party. <laughs> it, I think the, the, and going back to what you were saying as far as like, you know, what, what is he actually championing in the Senate and passing, you know, on, on its own merits, the centrists in the Democratic Party that, 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 you know, that I know and have been talking to, that's always been their biggest thing. What has he accomplished? Like Klobuchar has accomplished 9 million things in the Senate. Like literally, like I, I don't even know, I'm not even sure if that's hyperbolic, right? Like she's, she's, she's been an absolute workhorse in the Senate. 
yeah. uh, compared to, to to Bernie Sanders, who just has been on the fringe and has you know uh, built an amazing following and is speaking to to the same you know core pain core pain real. You're gonna love this that uh, that Trump identified uh, you know because <laughs> any comparison to the just real gets his nipples hard every time that happens. <laughs> uh, he'll tell you himself. Just kidding, he won't. Uh, but that you know like it's one thing to speak to that pain. It's quite another thing to to find a viable solution for it. Uh, and again, you know, the only one person speaking to the actual root causes of where that pain is coming from in the modern economy. And, and yeah. when you're using the pain to divide people, that is actually anti-democratic. And it's exactly, it is whether you like it or not, totally playing into Vladimir Putin's hands. That's what he wants. He wants us shouting at each other. I mean, that's like, that's what the whole, the whole misinformation campaign out of the Kremlin was about, Right. That's why they pushed Jill Stein and Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. It's not because they, they don't care about like whether or not Trump's policies or Sanders' policies. No, they're pushing them because they're divisive candidates who are bad for democracy. Agreed. I will say one thing, though. I wouldn't say all bipartisanship is good inherently. Oh, I think you do. Agreed. I think one of the real appeals to Yang is that he is not Biden in trying to bring back the old version of bipartisanship, yeah. which has kind of led to us having candidates like Donald Trump arise and seize power from this neoliberal, neoconservative establishment. He's forming this kind of new bipartisanship that can actually have people unite together and not just say, fuck you, D.C. Right. 100%. I completely agree with what you just said. You're yep. right. Yeah, it's not it's not about being bipartisan just for the sake of being bipartisan. It's about being pragmatic and like realizing mm -hmm. that in order to get things done in a democracy, you have to compromise with the other side. Don't compromise your values, but compromise on specific policy details in order to get it passed. And it's That's not even like it's not even like compromise. Right. Like, like when, when, if you were to talk about like compromise in the nineties, basically compromise meant like, Hey, Democrats would come up with a good idea and Republicans would be like, fuck you. We hate good ideas. And, and then they would only do 10% of a good idea. Like that's the compromise, uh, you know, I, well, and I mean, the ACA is like a horrendous version of that exact same thing writ large. Right. Whereas what Andrew Yang is actually doing is he's saying, okay, well you have the, your needs. I, I, you know, we have our needs. We're going to come up with an idea that's so fucking amazing that you're going to love it. And we're going to love it. Right. Yeah. Like that's not compromise. That's consensus. Well, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's a little of both, you know? I mean, like, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm compromising by supporting Andrew Yang. Like I, if I could write my 100% dream policies, they would not be exactly like his policies, right? But his policies are close enough to mine that I'm willing to compromise with the other side. And that's right. fine. That's yeah. kind of the point of democracy. Agreed. So Jonathan, you brought up the neoliberal and neoconservative words. Mm. So you know where that's going to be. <laughs> yes, go right ahead. I'm just, just going to duck. <laughs> One thing I got to say, though, is I think when we talk bipartisanship, we should frame it as American bipartisanship versus D.C. bipartisanship. You have the people who are in these power positions who are trying to preserve their own power, and they right. agree on preserving their own power. Agreed. While you have all these Americans out here who have all these pragmatic solutions they agree to that just never see the light of day in Congress to have any action done upon them. And my perspective is when you want to lead as a leader, you first start with the things that unite us while talking about the things that divide us. You make progress on those at the same time. You can't trust someone to actually have your best interest at heart if they're getting nothing done and not getting the uniting factors first. Yeah, man, John, I, like that, you, that was, that's beautiful. Put that on a bumper sticker, you know, like American bipartisanship, right? As opposed to DC bipartisanship. That distinction is spot on and I completely agree. Absolutely. So as a neoliberal neoconservative, 
no, I mean, like, let's just talk about this for a second, because, like, yeah. I, I find this word um, fascinating. Um, you know, ne- neo means new, right? And um, and liberal. Like, so what happened is, and I, I think you'll agree with this, this is just historical fact. Like, our founders were classically liberal, and then socialism came along, and liberals compromised with socialists to create social liberalism. And eventually over time that became so popular that they kind of, it just sort of took over the paradigm. And then we dropped the word social and now people use the word liberal to mean social liberal. And now we use the word neoliberal to refer to really what was just a resurgence of classic liberalism, which happened um, due to the writings of economists like Milton Friedman. And so neoliberalism to be clear is just classic liberalism over again. <laughs> I don't right? disagree with you there. Yeah, totally. Um, so the, I just wanted to clarify what that term means and it's fine. Like I, 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 I was actually telling um, AJ um, off air recently that I would even be like, not only am I willing to compromise with social liberals, I'm open to the possibility of even identifying as a social liberal as opposed to a classic liberal. If social liberalism starts taking Yang's more libertarian, pro-individual freedom, autonomy direction, then there's no reason for conservatives not to fully embrace that vision, frankly. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And I think the one drawing factor, I think a lot of this roots from that same period as Milton Freeman. It also was the Ronald Reagan era. There was this economic consensus about having a lot more deregulation to be the way we stimulate growth. And along the lines, the real split became between neoconservative and neoliberal was the cultural dynamics. And then they used the cultural dynamics to kind of get us all divided against each other while they kind of gutted us economically underneath. Yeah, no, the neoconservative is actually a really fascinating term. I identify as a neocon mostly because of foreign policy rather Mm. more than anything else, right? But you're right, in terms of the social issues, like I'm fully neoliberal on that as well. Like I'm, I'm neoliberal on economics and socials. And like, the only thing that, that the neocon label applies to me about is foreign policy. But I'm not even sure that really applies because neoliberals are also kind of neoconservative. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They've become pretty yeah. hawkish over the years. Yeah. And in, and in defense of 1990s Democrats, Reagan won in such a landslide with such a neoliberal message and a neoconservative message that they just said, like, look, this is clearly what the American people want. Right. So they moved the party in that direction because that's the direction that the Amer- American people were going at the time. It's the only way to win. And yeah. the really sad thing, and this, is, this, I think, goes to the way Bernie Sanders is, is, is you know, fighting the battles and, quite frankly, the way Elizabeth Warren is, is fighting the battles in, in not uh, uh, as much of an inspirational way as I would like. But Hillary Clinton was literally running the 90s playbook to get elected and then was shocked when it didn't work. That's fair. Right. I mean that yeah, you, you, you no, I can't I can't I can't disagree with that. I mean again <laughs> But she was also just Hillary Clinton too. Like there was just yeah. so much baggage there and then just being a no show as well also hurt her case. Yeah, the the difference like so Clinton Clinton v. Trump, Clinton was the conservative option in that lineup like across the board in almost every respect. The opposite of conservative is not progressive, it's radical. Um and Trump is super radical um, and, and Clinton is highly conservative, um, which, which, is why, which is why the Never Trump movement was a thing, right? I mean, and why we call the alt-right alt-right. I mean, if they were actually right-wing, they wouldn't need to put the word alternative in front of it. <laughs> 
yeah it's just like it, we're just instead of instead of actually being conservatives we're just going to be racist assholes that's really that's what i got from the alt-right like, yeah and Corey's going to like this i mean the republicans brought that on themselves with the southern strategy that was inevitably oh, yeah. going to happen yeah no it's yeah but like i, I don't i don't like it yeah. I fucking hate that. <laughs> but I'm kind of glad it kind of got unsurfaced. Like there was yeah, a lot that's of, a good point. of news happening, but now it's just like, okay, we, we don't have to mince words. It's out in public. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're saying it out loud now. And then, uh, you know, Americans can either put up with it or, or, or they won't. Um, yeah. Here's, here's so, hope. It, um, so, so John, I want you to tell us more about your show, like in your, your form of social democracy and how you represented on your show and what you do with your panels and all that fun stuff. So we can, you know, titillate our audience and make them go listen to your show too. Oh yeah. I'd love that. So what I do on my show is really mostly lately it's been the panels. And so in the panels, what I do is I come up with a topic that I want to talk about. I don't seek people out and then say, what's the topic going to be? I choose the topic and then I reach out to my audience to try and get someone to come on. The idea is usually it'll be semi-related to current events. So if something big in foreign policy happens, maybe I'll have a foreign policy episode. If a big debate on healthcare happens, I'll have a debate on healthcare. And occasionally, you know, the current event is just a debate. So we'll have a debate reaction as well. So the way I try to run my panels is that first and foremost, I want to give people the free reign to talk without feeling like they're going to have their toes stepped on so that they can truly articulate their point of view and know that it's a respectful environment so that they are not on guard and hiding parts of their actual beliefs. When you have that respectful dialogue, it really allows truth to develop rather than when you have a lot of these cable media shows, it's all about posturing and who's going to be able to win. And it gets boiled down to these really small sound bites that don't really teach anyone anything other than to be like, well, fuck that guy. He's not on my side, clearly. Or I came in just rooting for this one person. And so when I bring in relatively um, lesser known people, it really helps people just be there to listen, to actually observe the ideas, rather than to come in from the start saying, yeah, this person's my person. I'm rooting for them along the way. And so I, in my philosophy of how to run uh, debates, I really try to have it be, we're going to have seven questions. And I give all my questions ahead of time to my guests, not so that they can come with scripted answers, but just so that they have like some baseline understanding of what's going to be discussed, because I want people to look good. I think that's a great way for people to have a positive emotion and feel united when it's on a playing, like an even playing field where everyone going in is like, yeah, this person get, didn't get fed information or this person didn't get fed information. We're all on an even playing field. And I believe yeah. having that respectful dialogue can have people who have contrasting views come together and actually listen to one another. Man, that is 100%, right? Like that's what this show is all about too. Um, one term that we use to describe it is post-partisan, which I think is, is another way of getting to what you talked about in terms of the difference between American bipartisanship and DC bipartisanship. I think I would say like DC is super fucking partisan and America actually isn't. Like America is not as partisan as DC. Most, like there's more independents than there are registered Democrats or Republicans. This is a country that is fed up with partisanship. And I think both parties need to tell their partisan bases to sit down and shut up so that we can actually listen to all the reasonable people 
and I would even say in the middle because they may, they may or may not be in like the middle of the Overton window. But the point is they're not partisan, right? Right. And we need to get past thinking about things in terms of my team versus their team and start actually having conversations with each other again, even if they're uncomfortable, maybe especially if they're uncomfortable. Because yeah. if like if if we're, if we're afraid to talk to each other, then Vladimir Putin wins and America loses. Yeah, and I think you're even underselling it just a little bit. I had actually made a tweet kind of similar to this. I would say it's not even just 40% of people who are independents. I think we're all independents just trapped in a two-party system. I think we all have been bucketed into this with an electoral system that says you have to pick the lesser of two evils and that if you want to participate in our democracy, you have to join a party because that's the only way you get to participate in their primary or a candidate. And so we've kind of been trapped by both sides because you get things like, uh, the way we actually hold our debates for the general election. It's only Republicans and Democrats who get to decide who goes onto the stage. If you want an independent or a third party candidate, tough titties. It's not happening. Yeah, yeah. it's super weird. That's, that's why, and well, and Andrew Yang's, uh, uh, and it wasn't his idea, but he, he, the solution to that is ranked choice. Like, that's yeah. the only way out of this mess. Right? Absolutely so, like, great. I have so many, well, yeah. one friend in, in, in particular who is constantly like, oh, we need like a totally different workers' party. Like, fuck you, workers' party, right? Like, because here's the thing. We live in a two-party system. Any third party is just going to get ignored unless you're like going for, for you know, dog catcher. Maybe. Maybe, right? Because yeah. at a national level, it, it's a joke. It will not happen. You need something to start, uh, uh, you know, etching the power out of that very, very deep groove that the two-party system is in. Yes. So, the, so the obviously we all, we all would... Celebrity running. That's the only exception. If you have someone with so much name recognition who just decides to run third party, I could honestly see that happening. No. For every no. reason you just said, it wouldn't work because they're not going to get on the debate stage. Right. It just, it, it would, it would not work. And all like the media would ignore them. And again, I would love to be proven wrong on this. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying it's like an absolute. I just don't see it. Like it just mathematically, it's not going to work. And it would be immoral and unethical to do it because if you lose, right, if you lose, then what everyone hates the most is going to win. Yeah, no, I agree with that. That's true. Um, so obviously, the, you know, like Yang, or like Yang does, one solution to the problem is supporting a constitutional amendment to reform the way that our democracy works fundamentally, which is um, a good idea. But there's actually something that we all can do right now that will make the current system work better, which is just talk to each other, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I ban people. Like, I'm not saying that you're you you have a moral obligation to talk to every asshole on Twitter. By no means. But like, here's Phew. what my here's what my standard is. My standard for whether or not to have a conversation with somebody is not whether I agree with them or not. Okay, it's whether or not they are willing to meet me halfway and actually have a grown up conversation. Right? If they're willing to do that, then talk to them. If they're yeah. not then by all means ban them because you're just wasting your time. Go talk to somebody else who's actually worth talking to. That's fine. I completely agree with you. I, for the longest time, was an anti-block person because I was like, oh, that's just showing cowardice. You're, you're running away from people. But really, it's just a waste of time when you're having this that's hate exactly coming it. at you. And yeah. it invades your mental space, whether you want it or not, when you're being constantly bombarded by that toxicity. Yeah. And so I don't even have them need me like halfway. I just say, if you're going to be respectful, I'm going to listen to you. There's a level between criticism and just spewing hatred. The hatred, I got no time for. Well, and, and, and respect is part of it, but honestly, even less important to me than respect, or I mean, sorry, even more important to me than respect is just whether or not they're really engaging with the ideas honestly. 
right? right. Mm. Like if they're willing to have a conversation and they're willing, they're, they're open to changing their mind, just as I am open to changing my mind, then they're worth talking to, even if they're rude. But like, yeah. but, but if, they're, if it's obvious that they're just trying to win because they're in that partisan my team versus your team mindset, which I'm sorry to say does, does seem to apply to a lot of Bernie Sanders supporters on Twitter right now, then you know what? I don't have, I, not only do I not have time for that, but like you said, it does invade my mental space. And then it, what ends up happening is it forces me to think that way too. And then it spreads like a cancer and just, and, and turns me into a worse person. And I, it, it's not Can confirm. whatsoever. Yeah, I, <laughs> I completely agree with you. God, I, it has been, especially going from Bernie to Yang, anyone who leaves Bernie it gets that automatically. It's like wow. a trigger because it's like a rejection of who they are too. And yeah. that's really the thing is we have so much ego being elevated by the idea of social media and access yeah. to information that we simply didn't have in the past. When someone switched in the past, you didn't know that. You didn't just go flame them. But now because we're constantly able to interact with each other and we do it through these semi-anonymous platforms where you can't just say, oh, you're being rude to me. I'm just going to give you a smack for that just complete rudeness. Like it's basically giving people the platform to just say whatever they want. And there's no consequences really. Yeah, no. And this applies to the Yang gang too. Like be Yang gang, but don't be a Yang head, right? Like yes. there is more to you than just the fact that you support Andrew Yang. That is not your identity. If he drops out, you are not going to disappear. Like it's right. like the, 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 the stakes are both higher and lower than that. Right? Like the, the stakes are high in real life. So that's why you can't afford to say Yang or bust. Right. But at the same time, like you will carry on, you will still exist. You will still have an identity post Yang, you know, like and the agency. Yeah, right? it's not about it's not about supporting an, a, a, a you know a personality. It's about supporting ideas, and those ideas are bigger than Yang. And he would be the first person to say that. 100%. He would tell you guys like, do not worship me. <laughs> like I am just like uh, you know a monkey really like you. Like calm down. <laughs> That's the thing. I think honestly, with, with all the polarization and a cultural shift away from religion for the younger generations. Politics has kind of replaced that in becoming almost like a religious dogma in which we have become idolization of these candidates and worshiping them when really we should be thinking as individuals, how do we all progress forward? And I think that's really what Yang's message is trying to do. But like anything, there's a lot of people who just want it to be him. It's, it's a cult yeah. of personality. Yeah. And I'll, I'll get my hate occasionally when I'm critical of him. But come on, he literally has said he doesn't expect everyone to agree with him. Right. Take that into account. At least be that kind of humanity first perspective of yeah. being open-minded, being respectful. That's yeah. the can actually heal and come together. So how do we get on one of your panels? Uh, you do what you just did, you asked. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, seriously, I, I just recently released my full list of things that I'm going to be doing in the first quarter of 2020, all the topics I'm going to be doing. I have a form out there that I can happily share with you both. So you could choose a topic that you're most interested in. And then I just need one other person to join us because I always do groups of three. All right. All right. Or, or Corey and I could be on separate panels on different topics. <laughs> also great. We could. Yeah, no, I, I love to have you guys on. I think the philosophies of your channel and mine are very similar. It's, mm -hmm. There's so much division in this podcast game 
that you need the people who are saying, no, I'm not here to just be a talking head and battle with the other talking heads. We're here to try and bring people together and talk about actual issues. Yeah, and that, yeah. that actually completely goes with what I was saying about something people can do right now to make the current system better is talk with each other. So along those same lines, something we can do is we can vote with our eyes and our ears and our dollars for programs that exemplify that value and not for ones that don't, you know? Like, it's human nature. Everybody likes to, you know, an echo chamber. It, it certainly is, you know, like it gives you energy when you're jogging to listen to somebody you agree with the whole time, right? But like, get over it, right? You know, <laughs> like, support the programs that are having the hard conversations and that are really doing the actual work that's going to bring Americans back together again. Can that's we, my challenge for, for our listeners today. Trump is fucking president. Like, <gasps> there is a dumpster fire in the White House right now. And this is entirely because tribalism got to the point where, like, even in media, everything else, there are two different information silos that people are living in now. And one of them makes you a fucking idiot. Like, I'm sorry, but that, that's just true. You literally, it, it, to think that Trump is anything other than a total nightmare, you have to have your head jammed all the way up your ass. You have to be literally sucking in lies uh, as if they were candy. It's really, really bad. Right. I, and I that, that, that's say, a symptom of a much larger problem that yeah. is solved by having the hard conversation, right? Like getting past the dogma, figuring out how, you know, to take a couple of ideologues and go like, no, we can get, we can get together around a good idea and then vamp around that until we realize oh, we actually agree way more than we ever would have thought. Caveat being, and I'm not doing this just to do both side or both sides or I'm, I'm doing this because this is the truth. There are uh, people in the, the democratic Party's fear who also are in misinformation bubbles. Um, that is true. Tulsi Gabbard supporters true. and a lot of Bernie, Sabbard's, Bernie Sanders supporters, for example. Yep. Uh, honestly, I, I am forced to concede that. And everybody who doesn't vaccinate their goddamn kids. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah, and I have to say to the whole media idea, I really think the, the way it's constructed and how much clickbaiting there is, that's just another form of how you have dramatization. You want something that just says, ooh, this is going to be juicy. It's not right. going to be substantive. It's not going to be people really taking the time to flesh out ideas. It's, we have this instant gratification culture where it's saying, ooh, I want to see a burn, take down something that's dramatic. If it yep. bleeds, it reads. And I it's, think that yeah. caused a lot of the polarization too is mm -hmm. because when you're framing things as just kind of headlines, yeah. you're not thinking. Well, which mean that, that it's confirmation, right? This is neuroscience, right? You have a situation where they're literally trying to flick your amygdala fear response uh, to get you to pay attention to whether or not you should buy fucking detergent that day. Uh, and then it flips to the tribal element of confirmation bias so that it gets worse and worse over time. And that will happen until everyone, like, as a, as a patriotic fucking duty, sits down with people like this in any form you want, Right, but it, like, do it face to face, right? Like, have an actual conversation with other human beings about what you actually value. What would you actually want to see outside of these, you know, cult of personalities and just tribes that have gone all too rampant? Right, and that—that's actually you're completely right about the press. And I, it's not a conspiracy theory or anything. It's just that the way it's just human nature. It's just when the way it's incentives. Yeah, when things are going well, that's not news, right? It's right. news when someone gets shot or something gets burned down, right? And so yeah. you, you, you could have, and this actually is the situation we're living in, you could have a world where things were getting better and better and better year after year, and you thought that they were getting worse and worse and worse because the press is only covering the bad stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unless you get to a situation where zero bad things ever happen, which of course will never be, 
there's always going to be enough bad things to cup to fill a newspaper. Yeah. Going to think that the world is going to hell, no matter how good it is. Even the feel good stories are tragedies in disguise most of the time. <laughs> You're so right. <laughs> like the whole like the oh go fund me. This guy raised ten thousand dollars for a liver. It'd be fucking free in Canada, you idiot. Like that. Yeah. Like oh, it drives me completely bad. Chris Hayes had a, a line that I wanted to offer for for what you were saying, Rio. He basically said like you know we have this this really dark line in our newsroom. We don't cover uh, the the planes that land. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Which is like most of them by right, a lot. Exactly, the, the vast, <laughs> right? vast majority. People who have a, the, the people who have a fear of fry, flying are deeply irrational. Flying yeah. is actually safer than driving. But Sharks you are know more dangerous. Newspaper because you don't talk about a newspaper. You don't talk about a plane unless it crashed. That's right. I'd be curious if we could actually price that externality in. I mean, we clearly have had that conversation around like a carbon tax now for mm-hmm. the idea of emissions. There's clearly an externality to the division and misinformation silos Ooh. that the media is creating. And I'd love to be able to price that in. I had And nice charge time. them for it. No, the way I actually frame that is that you put a value-added tax on advertising yeah. so that these people who are corporate media entities who are trying to serve these groups and just kind of distract people with these headlines – yeah. Well, they're going to have they, that tax. Uh, and then you get basically like uh, a journalism dollar, just to give a simple name, for you to put it into the networks that you think are actually implementing good value. Have that fun democracy bucks. Just, just yeah. straight swap, right? But even, just, even oh. just to have that external, yeah, yes end, right? Yeah, exactly. Have that external, externality, you know, uh, shown, studied, and, and costed out. I, I think is a brilliant idea I've never heard before. Show over. Um, no, it's, it's really, no, it doesn't have to be over. But man, that's a really good idea. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, it is, it is time to start, to start wrapping up, though. So, John, is there anything else you wanted to talk about? Uh, I, w- I would say the only thing I wanted to talk about is I had been running previously for a congressional seat. I had pulled huh. out. And so I want to say if there is anyone out there in New Jersey or who cares, go support Hector Osagura. Uh, I have some differences with him in policy, but I – I'm strongly advocating for transformation in my district and our current congressman sucks. He is blatantly terrible. Look up Albio Cyrus and have fun reading all the disaster he has done. Um, so that's one thing I want to plug. The second thing I want to plug is yes, open invitation to you both. Let's talk about that afterwards. Game on. And finally, I want to just say for all the folks out there, Andrew Yang is ice cream. Everyone realizes the dude is just good. You don't have to be a Republican or Democrat to realize ice cream is good. Ice cream is good because we all just say it's a simple thing and we all know it's sweet. Just enjoy it for what it is and let's start having that conversation over maybe ice cream or tacos or whatever. (laughs) Nailed it. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing this to you, and we're so excited about the uh, the awesome community, the Yang Gang that's growing up around the candidacy uh, of Andrew Yang. Uh, if you could please tag us on Twitter with the hashtag Moving Forward Pod, and uh, find and join the Moving Forward Podcast uh, group on Facebook. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. When we had Scott Sentence on for episode four, 
um, he said something like, you know, it's kind of like tacos. Everybody loves tacos. And then Corey and I were like, dude, Andrew Yang is our taco. Cause he's like the thing who brought us together. It's like what we bonded over, you know, even though like I'm a heartless right winger and he's a bleeding heart lefty. We bonded over our love of tacos. <laughs> that makes sense to me. Hey, he could be our pizza. He could be our burgers, tacos. I, I don't know. I You're welcome to say that. You could just start listing foods. Like, you that's know, the, yeah, as exactly. long as they're all universally as lovable as tacos, then you're saying. Andrew Yang is ice cream. I-